Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. During the program, we'll continue to explore the events in chapter 4 of Genesis, following the story of Cain and Abel. So let's go back to the Bible as we turn to Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 26. As the early part of Genesis proceeds, we see how quickly the human race needs organization. And it was not long before human beings formed cities that demanded some form of leadership structure. But with leadership structure also comes disagreements, and with disagreements come the possibility for oppression and abuse. Indeed, it's not long before oppression and abuse leads to divisions in the human race, divisions that are enduring and pronounced. But what is the nature of these divisions? What causes them? Are there common themes in human divisions that constantly come up throughout history? Is there something we can do to avoid these, or are we simply doomed to repeat the same mistakes until the curse of the fall is broken and Christ returns? You know, the early history of the human race should be of great interest to all of us because what happened at the beginning of the development of human culture are the actual building blocks upon which all civilizations continue to be built today. I've entitled today's address, The Tale of Two Cities, and we will carry on that theme tomorrow. Now, I have, of course, borrowed that theme from Charles Dickens' book by that name, which tells the story of two cities, one being London and the other being Paris, and the events of the late 1700s that lead to the American and the French revolutions. But I am using the title in a similar but in a different way. I'm using the title to speak not of revolutions, but to describe the basis of two different visions for the human race. I will use the title to describe two cities, one being the city of man and the other being the city of God. But even in saying it that way, I'm again mindful that I have again borrowed an image from an ancient Christian theologian by the name of Augustine. Now, for the next two days, we're going to be looking at two groups of people. They are the descendants of Cain the murderer and the descendants of Seth the man of God. We're going to see how these two groups of people become very different and how their differences are reflected in their vision of what constitutes a good and just society. Eventually, when we come to chapter 6, we're going to see that the line of Cain almost completely wiped out the godly line as the divisions and competing visions of these two groups becomes profound and it leads to killing and ethnic cleansing. When we read this account, I hope we're going to see that these two people groups provide us with choices on how we will live today, not individually, but how we will live as a culture, society. Genesis 4 and 5 tells us how the first human family became a culture and a civilization and how humanity became divided and how it is that the division was centered primarily upon religious ideals and how these became the focus of great animosity and what these two groups of people thought to be ultimately important. The text of Genesis invites us to read about the history of the first human division and to ask ourselves, which of these two groups are my people? Whom will I identify with? That's the point of the story. Uh, listen to what the American poet Robert Frost wrote in his poem, The Road Not Taken. He wrote, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, and then I took the other. See, which road are you following? Which city do you live in? Who are your people? How have you chosen to live your life? 
Who are the people you most admire? Who are your heroes? What do you think the ideal life looks like? What is your definition of a successful human being? What is worth your efforts and sacrifice? If you could have your greatest wish come true, what is it that you want? How you answer these questions will make all the difference. It's the path you will follow. The answer to these questions are the identifying mark of who you are and who your people are and in which city you live, the city of God or the city of man. So let's begin by identifying two different ways of life. It's the tale of two cities. Listen to how Augustine described it. Accordingly, he wrote, two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly of the love of self, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly to the love of God, even to the contempt of self. So which road shall we take? Well, let's define these two different ways of life. And so we begin today by defining the first city, and we will define the second city tomorrow. I'm reading Genesis 4, 16 to 22. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He is the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Now, it's easy for us to pass a text like this by. After all, not many of us are interested in a genealogy with names. We can hardly pronounce it about people we know nothing. This passage only seems like a transition from the story of Cain and Abel to the time of Noah. It's like saying, okay, Cain killed Abel, then a bunch of time passed, and a bunch of people lived, and then they died, and then a man named Noah came onto the scene. But if we think that, we're missing something vital. This is the story of how the world became evil. It's the story of where murder came from and how human civilization was formed and of two different ways of living. It's the story of how cultures became the way they are and the values they hold that will determine people's lives. You know, I spoke with a pastor who told me an interesting story. He told me that he had just performed one of the most moving baby dedications of his long ministry. Years ago, he had met a young woman who was a witch. In fact, the women of that family had been witches through generations. But my pastor friend had been used by God to reach this woman with the good news of Jesus, and she was gloriously saved. You know, this woman eventually had a young baby girl whom she had dedicated to Christ. And then years later, this daughter grew up, married a godly young man. And now just recently, my pastor friend had dedicated the daughter's daughter to Christ, the granddaughter of the woman whom he had led to faith out of witchcraft, the third generation now in Christ, this girl would now not learn anything of witchcraft, but would be raised on Bible stories and on obedience to Jesus. One person's conversion would change the history of a family. With one person, light would go on for generations. You know, it works the other way, too. I remember doing a funeral service for a young man who took his life, leaving behind a wife and three beautiful little girls. And his mom and dad were there at the funeral, and it soon became evident that not one person in that extended family knew God or how to be comforted in this time of tragedy. No one knew how to pray, but I was to learn that the father of this young man had been raised in a Christian home, and that he, the only one of all his brothers and sisters, decided to walk away from the Lord. 
And now the third generation was on the scene, three beautiful little girls not knowing the God who made them. With one action, the lights go out for generations. With one action, the light comes on for generations. And that's the difference between Cain and Seth. See, after Cain murdered his brother, a deep division entered into Adam and Eve's family. Some would have sided with Cain and some with the memory of Abel. And the Bible assumes that it is self-evident that Cain would have married his sister. And remember that given the long lifespans and given Eve's fertility, there must have been at least a hundred children, perhaps more. Hundreds of years had passed and Cain took a good portion of the family of Adam and Eve with him and began to build a city. We should not suppose that this meant a large town. It may simply have been an enclosed space, a few dwelling places with a kind of a fence around it, to make sure that any of his brothers and sisters who wanted to avenge their brother Abel's life could never attack him by surprise. God had told Cain that he would be a restless wanderer, but Cain was determined to break this curse, not by asking for more mercy, but by relying on himself by building the first human settlement with defenses. He would not be a restless wanderer after all. This city was his safety and stability. And as the city grows, he has children, and no doubt other brothers and sisters would have had children as well, and he makes a decision. You have to give this settlement a name, and he decides he will name it Enoch after his firstborn son. In other words, he was not just given birth to a son, Cain has given birth to a city. He has given birth to a way of life that will establish enduring cultural patterns of living. Cain has established a way in which human beings will relate to each other and what they will think to be most important. He has, in fact, created his own culture. As we look at what Cain's murder of Abel did to divide the family of Adam and Eve, we realize that the separation would not just be geographical, but far more significant. This introduction has given us an insight into the division of opposing worldviews and cultures that characterize the descendants of Cain on the one hand and those of Seth on the other. But there's more to learn about this first city that Cain built and what it represents then and even today. We'll get to that right after the break. Every home depends on God's supply. Back to the Bible Canada relies upon His supply through the faithfulness of our listeners. Thank you for your gifts that allow us to make new resources to help support you in your walk with Christ, as well as sustain our Bible teaching programs. Your support makes this ministry possible. Your generosity allows us to proclaim God's truth. Our families need it. If you wish to support us in a form of a donation, please visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. Or you may consider joining our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and have your contribution to this ministry recur on a monthly basis. To find out more about the 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and the exclusive benefits you unlock by joining, visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. 
In the story of the tale of two cities, the Bible begins by telling us the story of the birth of the city of man. In it, we're going to examine four of its defining characteristics. Here now is the first. This will be a city where humanity's greatness is celebrated. You know, I had an atheist friend some years ago, and he used to say that he was determined to do something in which he would become famous. He's trying to write a book in which he would leave a legacy behind him. I asked him why he wanted to do that. He told me he had no hope in eternity, and therefore he had to make his mark during this life. If I don't, he said, my name is going to be forgotten. I wonder how many of us are driven by dreams of greatness. I'll accomplish something. My, my name will be great. Perhaps, you know, it's going to be a great musician or a great scientist, a, a sports star, a politician, a great something. And yet listen to what God says in Isaiah 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever and whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, God wants us to be humble, not great, but the city of man revels in human prominence. Now, some of you have heard the story of Faust by the German playwright Goethe. In the story, a man by the name of Faust will eventually sell his soul to the devil. And at the beginning of the story, the devil comes to Faust, tempting him, but but Faust will not sell his soul easily. The devil shows him every pleasure, but, but Faust is not interested. Eventually, the devil leads Faust to a luscious green valley. It's significant because Faust is an engineer, and he has transformed that valley from a swamp to a luscious green valley. The devil convinces Faust that he is a creator, that he's a god, and for the opportunity to become great, Faust sells his soul. See, I believe that one of the reasons why some of us are never happy is because we want to be someone great. You know, some time ago, Time Magazine reported that our desire for self-esteem in North America has indeed become a curse. We have told a whole generation of people that they are so great, almost no one accepts criticism or accepts that they might simply be a C student. We think we are the answer for the world. Servanthood and sacrifice does not interest us. Fame and honor do. Every once in a while, someone will drop out of church because they didn't get credit for something. No one appreciated them enough. And so we become touchy about ourselves. The desire to be great, to construct something so that our name lives on is the basic culture of the city of man. It promises fame and fortune. And there's an irony about this city that Cain builds. He builds it to the east of Eden. Some of you remember that I pointed out that when the Bible tells us that Eden was in the east, it meant it was in the place where the sun rose. It was in the place of life. It was in the place of worship. And Cain says, I can build my city with my own strength, and it too will be in the place of life. In fact, it will be east of Eden. This city is a substitute for the city of God. But it's all emptiness. It's the empty spiritual existence that is made attractive through a counterfeit life, a life without God. Have you ever noticed how we can make life attractive without God today? See, the city of man is is filled with attractions. There's so much to do, so many things to see, so many dreams to pursue. You can live all of life in the city of man and feel that you never need God. Cain City is the first attempt at that. In it, human greatness is celebrated. You know, the second feature of the city is that sex becomes divorced from God's intention. In verse 19, we see something that has not yet been mentioned and perhaps something that had never yet occurred. 
A man named Lamech, who is the seventh generation from Adam, marries not one but two women. Compare this to God's original intention. Back in chapter 2, verse 24, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The intention was that a man would abandon all other relations and cling to his wife. The two would share intimacy, nakedness, and faithfulness, and children, and common worship and delight in God. They would become one flesh. But that's not what Lamech has in mind. Lamech says there are other ways to do sex and marriage. The rules around sex change according to human design. See, the Bible records the history of polygamy. You remember that Jacob married two women, and these women were sisters. It created a great rivalry between them. In fact, there was open hatred between them. David had numerous wives. Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines, and the Bible says it turned his heart away from God. It is a fact that polygamy arose in the city of man, and it was there when God's intention for marriage was abandoned that it flourished. Israel later simply adopted a way of life found in the cultures around them. See, our society today is an expression of the city of man. Polygamy is no longer an issue, but pornography is, and so is sex outside of marriage, and so is adultery, and So is abandoning the covenant with our spouse, and so is homosexuality, and so are multiple partners. Sometimes we call that serial monogamy. We have come to believe that sex is free, that we can create any kind of living relationship that we want, and in the meantime, brokenness, and in the meantime, children who don't have a mom and a dad, and in the meantime, sexually transmitted diseases, and in the meantime, abortion. It's the ethic of the city of man. Human greatness is celebrated. Sex is divorced from God's intention. And thirdly, we notice that in the city of man, the arts, the sciences, and human ingenuity flourish. See, that's the remarkable thing about the city of man. It's capable of amazing and magnificent achievement. Please remember that just because we have become sinners does not mean that we're not now in the image of God. Since God creates, we too have creative capabilities. You don't have to commit yourself to God in order to be a genius. The first musical instruments come not from the godly line, but from the city of man. Farming seems to have flourished, which included human breeding of animals. This built wealth, inventions in bronze, and the use of metals came into being. The city saw the realization of possibilities that must have seemed stunning. And by the way, with a long lifespan of people and the ability to accumulate knowledge rapidly, this must have happened relatively quickly. But it's all without God. But it seems so magnificent. I'll tell you why this happens. It's because humanity has eaten from the tree of knowledge, but not the tree of life. To put it simply, we've gained knowledge, but we've not gained wisdom. And that's what's happening in our universities. It's amazing what the human race knows. We can send people to the moon. We just don't know what to do when we get there. We can play with a human genome. In fact, we can almost create life. We just don't know what life is for. What a tragedy is our world. Knowledge without wisdom. Smart people living in despair. Great inventions used to destroy. And then the fourth thing that happens in the city of man, power wins. Let's read Genesis 4, 23 to 24. Lamech said to his wives, Adda and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. 
See, at some point in time, Lamech, no doubt the king of the city of Enoch, is wounded by someone else. This gives us an indication that the city of man is not paradise after all. There are those who presuppose that the city of Enoch had a civil war and that Lamech was wounded in battle. You know, others say it simply might have been the result of a crime, but however it happened, Lamech was wounded by someone. And he responds by killing this man. And then instead of pleading for God's mercy, Lamech composes a poem celebrating his power. And then remembering his forefather Cain and how he had received mercy, Lamech says, If Cain was protected by God, well, then I can protect myself and visit pure havoc on anyone who dares touch me. And that's the city of man. Power wins the day rather than the righteousness of God. Now, you'll want to join me tomorrow as we read of God's answer to the city of man, which is the city of God. John, this whole idea or, or this teaching that you've given about the city of man, there's so many parallels to uh, what we see today around us. It really is a great message. Yeah, you know, the city of man is amazing in so many ways because the accomplishments, because we're always in the image of God. We, we don't stop being capable of great things because we've fallen out of favor with God. God has so endowed us with abilities that in the end, as we're going to see as we study through Genesis, we construct a Tower of Babel, but it will do us no good because in the end, the city of man is destined for destruction because it lives on the basis of human power and not on the will of God. And in the end, even though it's capable of such greatness, the amount of damage that it does to the human soul is is overwhelming. And so the city of man will never be a substitute for the city of God. We will always need God. That's our only hope. What a fascinating insight into the city that Cain built for himself. Here was a city that represented a way of life and culture distinctly man-centered. Indeed, this is remarkably similar to our society today. We live in the city of man. This has been a great study of a passage of Genesis that we may be tempted to overlook. I hope that today's message has given you a greater appreciation for what we can learn from it. Perhaps it's a reminder of that city of which we were once attached to. But through God's grace, we now desire to live under His rule. Join us again tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues to unpack the rest of chapter 4, where we'll start to examine what is the city of God. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, but decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry and for the kingdom, well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336. 
336-3315 or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult.